0: It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app, or go to
2: Anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm. Back to the show.
0: Are you ready for season two of Discography? I'm your host, Mark with a C, and Discography is a show where we look at a great artist through the lens of only their canon albums of first release material to see who they really are and how it all stacks up. And you should know that for season two, we will be discussing the albums by the one, the only, Janet Jackson. singer, songwriter, dancer, actress, a household name, one of the biggest stars the western world has ever known, and though she sold over 100 million records worldwide, few have really poured through her canonical albums to see how they stack up. From her unsung early recordings to the genre-defining albums Rhythm Nation and Velvet Rope, all the way to 2015's Unbreakable, we're taking the deepest dive into Janet Jackson's studio records one can possibly imagine. Season 2 of Discography premieres on July 17th, 2018, only on Consequence Podcast Network. Consequence Podcast Network.
1: Welcome back to This week's episode of This Must Be The Gig, I am your host, Leo Phillips, and I am so excited about this week's episode. Just a little bit about it, if you are tuning in for the first time, hello, you can kind of hear I'm in a closet, can't you? I'm on the road, and I've stuffed myself into a closet so that you get the best audio quality. And you know, this is what you do for the things that you love. It's what you do. It's what you do. So, this essentially is a little documentary podcast. Um, it's your backstage pass to the world of live music and live performance. And as with the last few weeks, I've been on the road quickly, crushedly excitedly bringing you all the most fascinating conversations from behind the scenes. I want to be extra brief right now so that you can quickly dive headfirst into a chat with one of the most thrilling performers. And sweetest dudes around, Dan Beckner of Wolf Parade and of Operators and, and, ands. You certainly, absolutely, definitely know Dan as one of the genius brains behind Wolf Parade, not to mention his other band, Operators, which I love and you should too, but you could also probably remember him from Handsome Furs or Divine Fits or even Atlas Strategic. He has been one of the most heartfelt and thrilling songwriters in the rock world for almost two Two decades now, seemingly endlessly on tour for one or another of his many projects as well, perhaps even more compelling on stage as on record. And as if all that weren't enough for you, you greedy little bugger, Dan is an incredible conversationalist and he, I just absolutely love chatting to him. He is able to dip and dive between completely random topics that are incredibly relevant. And he does this with this really wonderful knowing charm. And over the course of this chat, we talk about his life as a teen in the basement of a riot girl house in Canada, to the political landscape of Eastern Europe, and also Wolf Parade status as a cult band. And we even cover a little bit of sci-fi novel recommendations for this tour, which we always happen to geek out on every time we chat. Plus, an extra little added bonus we've got scoops galore regarding a new operators album which I am unbelievably and shockingly excited by it is not shocking everybody knows my love for them uh, and also a potential return of that was my that was my mobile drum line up for you. There's my little drum roll. And a potential return of handsome furs as well. So stay tuned. Put those ears in. Listen listen good. Listen long. Um, and this is us. This is me and Dan. Enjoy.
2: <laughs> I'm Dan Beckner from Wolf Freid and Operators and, and? uh, X Handsome Furs, uh, Divine Fits, Frankfurt Boys. Yep.
1: And? what Wasn't it one more?
2: Well, I was in a band called Atlas Strategic when I was, uh, when I was much younger and, uh, in Victoria, British Columbia.
1: When did you start that band? Actually, that was what I wanted to ask you the other day.
2: I started that band probably in 1998, I want to say. Uh, but it wasn't called Atlas Strategic. It was called... It started as a solo project called Two-Bit Manchild, which was <laughs> oh, uh, named after a Neil Diamond song. <laughs> and the original, the original <gasps> band was me and uh, my friend Jessica Slavic And I played a very quiet thin sounding electric guitar and she played like a shrieking distorted like a uh, violin through oh god, a guitar brilliant. amp and some pedals um and then it morphed into a band called a uh, really unfortunately named band uh called god shape god shaped to vacuum which what? Uh, what
1: are these names uh i mean i know you have a very big imagination
2: but these I, names are crazy yeah that was that was i don't know I was, I was still figuring things out. You were out. young. I was young. I was dumb. <laughs> I was full of bad ideas.
1: So the best thing is we, we can tell the listeners that we saw each other the other day in Montreal. In Montreal, yeah. Which was the greatest thing because I haven't seen you in two years? Yeah. Well, I mean, Maybe we've kept up years? on Twitter. Uh, we've kept in on contact. Twitter, yeah. But on
2: social media.
1: But I haven't seen you in person, real life, IRL, since two years. No, three years.
2: Yeah, since Iceland.
1: I thought it was quite amazing that we saw each other in, obviously, in Montreal. So that's what I wanted to ask you. Where did you grow up? I I don't think we've ever chatted about it before.
2: I grew up in rural British Columbia. So uh, I grew up on an island off the coast of Vancouver. Okay. Um, So you have Vancouver on the mainland, and then you have the and this always confuses non-Canadians, you yeah. have Vancouver, the city, yes. which is on the continent. Okay. And then you have a giant island covered in subtropical rainforest uh, called Vancouver Island.
1: What? Is so, it close? It's next to Yeah, tour, it's though. a 90-minute okay. boat ride. Oh, wow. And, and that's that, where you grew up?
2: Yeah, and I grew up in a really... There's, there's one major community there, which is Victoria, which is the provincial capital, and Victoria is always to me been kind of a fascinating and awful place. You know, it's why? Well, it combines the two both the the, the greatest things about British Columbia and the worst things <laughs> about it. The greatest things being like uh nature and, you know, in terms of uh creative communities, there's mm. a there's a really strong sort of uh creative force in the in that mm. city that I have to thank for like mm. my music career going back you know, at least two generations in the yeah. underground music scene on the bad side of things. It's filled with fucking horrible baby boomers oh who no. uh,
1: have taken over.
2: Well, I mean, it's almost like they were there first. It's almost like their birthright yeah. at this point. Uh, Victoria has always been very conservative, you know, Except back in the 1890s when it was like, had 400, literally 400 bars and was like a stop on the way to the gold rush. Yeah. So.
1: But so when, so you grew up there and then your whole family, are they all still there or did they move?
2: They're all, well, the, the, my remaining family, which is my dad and my brother, uh, they both live on the island. So my dad lives in the tiny town that I grew up in, which is Cowichan Lake.
1: Uh, so he's still there.
2: Yeah, he's still there in the it's house amazing. that I was, you know, I was...
1: No way! Bor-
2: not born in, but lived in Raised you know, my in. whole whole life in People take
1: that for granted. I don't have my house still. It's like got taken over by a big property conglomerate in South Africa. So really? they like bought every house around it. Yeah. And it was like my dad's gr- greatest regret to sell that. I, so do you, how often do you go back?
2: I'm, I'm on the island frequently because uh, Wolf Parade... In a bizarre twist of events, uh, the entire band, except for me, lives on the island, and I live in Montreal. So.
1: Yes, okay, but so you do live in Montreal. I do, yeah. So when you were younger, did you have to take that boat trip into Vancouver City yeah. to go watch shows?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's expensive, though, mm-hmm. and, it, and you know you need accommodations overnight. So when I was, I'd say, 15 or 16... I, w- I had sort of my musical taste had shifted uh, uh, from. I loved metal when I was in my early teens. I was like obsessed with black metal and yeah. like, Metallica. Where and did
1: they come from? Your dad or your br- your brother? Or? It
2: came from these two weed dealers who lived in <laughs> uh, lived in town. I don't know and,
1: why I didn't have that as my third option. Yeah, the
2: the, P- the Pastic brothers. Uh, one of the, the the there were two older brothers and then a younger one. The younger one was in my class basically and we were we were both like total outcasts yeah and this is back i think in a in a place in time like in a small redneck community where like all of the freaks had to band together so metalheads burners skaters goths mm. anyone who was like uh, non-gender binary yeah anyone anyone who wasn't an absolutely 100 percent normal or yeah. faking it was forced to hang out with People who, maybe in a bigger city, you wouldn't even cross paths with, you know. How
1: many people were in, like, your school? How tiny was it?
2: Like, like a couple hundred. My graduating class was, like, 30 people, <gasps> you know. Wow. So this kid gave me a tape that had guar <laughs> uh, Scum Dogs of the Universe on one side, and Metallica Master of Puppets on the other.
1: Um, Is that what sparked your interest in guitar
2: yeah uh yeah, pretty much that's
1: crazy what what about it? Did you watch them perform live, or did you just no, listen to I them mean, right
2: I had no tape? access to okay. I didn't even know what they looked because like it was like uh it was a cassette copy, and yeah. you know this is like you know this is this record was old at this point, so it wasn't like a new record yeah, and I just and loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved the way it sounded. It had an energy. There's, a, there's still a punk energy to er, that era of Metallica yeah. that I think they lost. Like
1: this revolt. Yeah. 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 Well, then they just unfortunately kind of diluted down to anything that could be played across the radio. I well, the
2: Black Album was basically yeah. their descent into like butt rock. You know, like
1: <laughs> that's so crazy. So, so you. So that's what you. So what was the first concert then that you ever saw? If you're living on the island, the you're first, listening to... The first Guar. concert I ever saw
2: <laughs> was... The first real concert I ever yes. saw was... Uh, you know the Canadian... Uh, he's a like music journalist. His name is Nardwar, the human survey. Yes.
1: I actually really like him. I do too. His research is quite phenomenal. He's just super cool.
2: Yeah. He's, yeah. he's a kind of legendary. Mm. Uh, I... Went and saw an all I went to an all ages show at like Knights of Pythias Hall in Nanaimo, uh, and it was his band, the Evaporators, and uh, some local punk or Victoria punk bands.
1: Has he interviewed you before? He's
2: never. I've never been interviewed by Nerdwar. I always wanted to. Cause we know all the Is this same our
1: public announcement to not watch. We, well, kind of like you. know all
2: the same people, but yeah. Um,
1: so that was your first show. That was
2: my first show. That would be
1: the most amazing, uh, meta interview because he's always the one coming in with like gifts for his interview. Well, ease. he'll
2: find out what so, their first yeah. show was, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. But yeah, that was my, that was my first show. I and, can't believe it. but it was really opening bands that, um, that there was a band called M blanket that opened, uh, for them and Mm. i later in my life i became friends with you know that band and still friends with one of the guys and but there was sort of a darker strain of punk music coming out of the west coast with bands like unwound Mm. who are kind of criminally overlooked Mm. um and i and that and like listening to sonic youth that was my that was my bridge out of metal Mm. you know once I once I discovered there were local bands making this sort of dark, uh, non-commercial music, I I didn't want to listen to anything that wasn't local. I would just go to the record store and buy all the local tapes.
1: What was and, it about local that made you feel? Was it because you came from such, such a small place, or yeah, was it just the way that you were wired that you just really wanted to?
2: I think it was because I came from a small place, and you know, as much as I liked Sonic Youth or Metallica or like Fugazi, even. When you're walking around a town that has literally no can traffic lights, and there's a thousand people living there, That's and you're insane. one of and you're one of I'd maybe know it
1: existed.
2: Yeah, it's I tiny.
1: Terrible and oh. ignorant that no, I didn't. No, nah,
2: why would anybody know about it? You know, like I mean, its biggest yeah. claim to fame is it, uh, is it
1: you were born there? Well, no, it's fine to
2: like a pro golfer Don uh. Coach Jones. Um,
1: well, I told you that I saw you in, this is totally off topic, but I yeah. told you that I saw you in the National Music Museum in Calgary with the theremin.
2: That's Haji. Yeah, yeah. Haji. Yeah, yeah.
1: In the, there's like this little timeline that goes vertically up the wall yeah. and it's got like all the different people who were like these big, great Canadian theremin players.
2: It kind of cracks me up yeah. that Haji is on a timeline with Clara, <laughs> Claraboe, but you know... Uh, or Clara amazing. Rockmore, rather. But then they yeah. have
1: this whole thing about Wolf Parade, and they're proud, which yeah. is good. They should be proud. Yeah,
2: I, I, I yeah. feel good about that, you know?
1: <laughs> you should be. So, okay, but so yeah, that was your first...
2: That was my first...
1: And then what what made you think that you had that spark that went, right, this is something that I can do, as opposed to, oh, I want to just be remain an audience member?
2: I think it was a combination of... Uh, I remember going, to, I kept going to all ages shows and I, you know, I met people, I kept picking people's brains and i talked to people in bands and be like, how did you do that? Really? How did you do this? Yeah.
1: You felt confident you could do that?
2: Yeah, I did. Cause I, I, no. I don't know. There was something, I just wanted to know how they were doing it. And then eventually I was like, I think I can do better than some of these bands. <laughs> so there was that. And then, um. I started ordering cassettes from, like, Kill Rock Stars and K Records and Olympia. This would have been, like, late 90s, right? Mm. So, and I got into Guided by Voices. Uh, I remember buying Alien Lanes and just spending an entire summer dropping acid walking around in the (laughs) forest listening to Alien Lanes. How old were you? I was 16 years old, I guess.
1: Dropping acid? That's normal. Yeah, yeah.
2: Totally normal. What else are you gonna do in the woods? So, yeah, There's exactly. With no do.
1: no street life. It was just I mean, like
2: avoid <laughs> getting beaten up by jocks and like try and You're not traveling anywhere. You're on an island, you can't yeah. get off. So you just have to try and beat your brain into submission so you can psychically travel outside of this place that you're you know basically yeah. trapped in
1: do you not smoke anymore by the way
2: quit smoking
1: Woohoo! Yeah. I actually wanted to ask you we can cut this out if, okay. if whatever but I wanted to ask you the other day because I saw you smoking this vapey thing
2: yeah yeah no I'm on the vape train
1: and and how do you feel
2: I feel great I don't Fuck. feel like I want to die when I yeah wake up, you know
1: I know, so. but smoking is a smoking great thing, but a it's terrible. beautiful,
2: beautiful thing. I
1: know. I, also sm- I smoked for like 10 years, and I stopped.
2: How did you feel when you stopped?
1: Well, I actually stopped drinking as well when I stopped smoking.
2: Oh, shit. No well, way. But,
1: well, no, I stopped smoking when I stopped drinking. Okay. So I stopped drinking like six years ago. Okay. So I'm a total alien. Um, no, I and mean, it wasn't hard to do because the two things for me went like I would have a glass of wine and a ciggy. Yeah. So like both of them went hand in hand. But so do you crave it at all, no. or does this do the trick?
2: Just pretty much does the trick, and I stepped it down, you know, the nicotine level. But I
1: mean, I think it's cool for like a rock star to have like a vaping thing now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, maybe in an ironically cool kind of way. Yeah, there's well, it's a,
1: like healthy now. It's well, there's clean. a guy
2: from uh, the guy from Sleaford Mods. You know, that's a that's a style. You know, that's a real style icon. for I really me, love
1: that band live.
2: So do I. Yeah, but just the, the crazy. Fa- tracks, dude. Just pressing spacebar and vaping and drinking a tall. <laughs> is, that's
1: always does.
2: It's fucking badass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true, he does do that They remind me of The Streets Do you remember The Streets? Yeah, yeah, Mike Skinner Yeah, yeah. That was such a fucking good band That was, that a was great like band. my childhood band We We were always into like 90s Brit anything, yeah.
2: yeah. I loved uh, Roots Maneuver.
1: Roots Maneuver was so cool like with that like first... Maneuver, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Rodney's amazing. That first it's record, so
1: good I can't believe I've told aren't they like still around? Are they still he's on? still making yeah.
2: great records? I like, he's so. still on uh, Ninja Tune or Big Data, and yeah. um, but like that first album, uh, Brand New Second Hand, is like one Brand of the greatest rap listen... albums ever made. I no,
1: I really needed It's to fucking listen to amazing, that. okay. So so let's go back so, okay. then, so when you picked up your first guitar, yeah, did you feel compelled almost that this was what you wanted to do, or did you just need to do it at the time you didn't know that it was going to become your lifelong career?
2: I mean looking uh, looking back on it, it was a, it was a compulsion, like i I mean, <laughs> yeah, my first electric guitar was just like a shitty metal guitar with like lightning bolts painted on it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the cutoff off headstock, yeah. So just, like, the dorkiest guitar. And I spent all day trying to tune it so it sounded like Sonic Youth because I didn't have any idea what I was doing. But I also knew I wanted to sing, so I would practice singing to different records, and I couldn't sing along with Metallica because it was too hard. Yeah. and uh, it's screaming. Yeah. Hetfield's <laughs> got, like, a really specific range yeah. that I don't have. But then... I was like, oh, R.E.M., I can sing along with R.E.M. So I,
1: Love R.E.M.
2: So I would practice my Sonic Youth guitar noise, and then I would retune it and practice singing <laughs> along with right. er, early R.E.M. records.
1: Did you ever feel a moment when you were worried about going that path? Like, how, are your, how was your dad's relationship toward you in terms of going into, you know, music? And my dad's a, a hippie, so okay. he was
2: fully into it He was a <laughs> school teacher um oh, I didn't you know, know. Like, pre- working cl- like working class like working class like public yeah. public school teacher but he was a hippie when he was a kid and he used to write lyrics for he was like he would follow bands around you know oh really yeah 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 he was uh he was like the sort of resident like roadie guy for this psych band called mayan doll ring in uh in vancouver
1: so he mu- he must have loved you the minute you got on stage or do you feel he's like you were been, affected at all he's by been the like fact that-
2: absolutely nothing but supportive I've been really lucky in the, yeah. in, in that way you yeah because you
1: hear total horror stories which to be honest oh, like, yeah. if it is what you're meant to do and it's your passion I can't imagine it affecting you as much yeah but the fact that you got support in the first place is really
2: yeah he was always really supportive um my mom too uh, who was also in the arts who's a uh, she's a ballerina uh, and then she my mom was a ballet
1: teacher oh really Uh, yeah Yeah." that's cool
2: yeah and then she kind of transferred into uh, like modern dance she had a dance studio she was the choreographer for what is that mockumentary about the small town theater company that's super famous and I'm totally blanking on that's got like Eugene Levy in it.
1: Oh, I don't know. I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah.
2: Anyway, uh, my mom did choreography for the Couch and Lakes version of that, which was the Lakeside Players. Uh, So they (laughs) had this theater company that would put on plays at, like, the fire hall. That's incredible. And she'd do the choreography. And did
1: you go watch those shows?
2: I had to, yeah.
1: Did you... Was there any performance that you saw when you were younger? Because I feel like every time I've seen you perform, and which is what drew me to you as an artist all those years ago, was obviously the songwriting that, that you know, we can put that aside. That was was always kind of to the tune of what I like. Yeah. But your performance is always so visceral and emotional and you're not just standing there blankly, which works for a lot of people. It does. You yeah. get into it, no matter what outfit you you're in. You know, I've seen you with operators. I've seen you with Wilfred. Did you see anybody that had a performance style that you wanted to mimic, or is this just something uh, that really came to you from from loving playing?
2: I think it's something I hit on naturally, but I think I found it by way of watching being in the punk scene. Yeah. So I would watch. Punk bands like, you know, I saw Drive Like Jehu uh, and Unwound on this tour. They played on All Ages Show. And I just remember watching Frobird, Rick Frobird sing and the amount of uh, physical intensity that went into the performance. Also, yeah. the, uh, there was a band called Fracas, uh Riot Girl band uh, in Victoria. Victoria had a pretty strong Riot Girl scene, which I got so deeply embedded in because yeah. I ended up living at the like. Flagship Riot Girl House in Vancouver. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when
1: was this? Also, nine. This
2: would have been like ninety-seven, right after I graduated high school. Uh, but oh. yeah, I was the only dude living at the house. I lived in the basement, <laughs> and they basically treated me like a pet dog. <laughs> it was. It's actually, and I was totally into it because it was obviously. It was, it was. It was all these like very cool, like older, uh, like and in my mind, extremely accomplished mm. women. And then I would I was just in love with all of them, (laughs) you know, and would do whatever, just basically whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think watching especially watching like I got to see like Bikini Kill uh, and Bratmobile.
1: What? When did you see Bikini Kill?
2: In the 90s, like late 90s. Yeah.
1: I mean, I know that that's maybe not a big deal, but that's a pretty big deal to me. That. I mean, the fact that you saw them as well at that time, I feel like that time is is incredibly special as well, you know. That informed
2: the way I wanted to perform, you know, between them and, you know, sort of Fugazi obviously Mm -hmm. is a big influence to how kinetically physical those people were on stage. They were possessed, Mm -hmm. you know, like.
1: But you do seem like uh, that sometimes. Like, it's unbelievable to watch you. Have you watched yourself like on a show, like a DVD or something? uh,
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've watched like like, YouTube YouTube footage of myself playing. But when I was really young, you know, I I had a hardcore band, um when i was a teenager and uh i remember over i was playing with another band that i kind of mm-hmm. looked up to and i uh they were from up island and I, I remember being in the the guy didn't know i was in the room i was overheard the singer of this band that i looked up to basically making fun of the way i performed on stage he was no like way. he was like mimicking me like spazzing out you know <laughs> and it it just totally devastated me. I was like... That's
1: like the best word, devastated. I, I was
2: just like, oh, shit, like, I'm so uncool. Oh, no. And, but then I think it just made me, like, double down on it, and, yeah.
1: And actually push to do that, because it was natural yeah. for you. Or just
2: be, yeah, just allow myself to be free. To I mean, feel. it sounds ridiculous, but that's it. just... just be myself on stage physically I
1: don't think that sounds ridiculous at all because I think we spoke about this the last time we chatted how important authenticity is for both of us just in the art we consume and the books yeah. we consume everything people we like mm-hmm. I feel like you and I have that in common Yeah. so it makes no, sense that you're getting up on stage and doing something that feels innately accurate to who you are at the core of who you are you know Yeah. and I think that that's also, something that a lot of people struggle with certain bands. Mm-hmm. Like, I saw a band, and I won't name them, but I saw a band the other day, and he looked so utterly bored that I yeah. was bored. Yeah, so I just walked out. I'm not into
2: that. I respect, you know, I respected absolute authenticity of mm-hmm. sort of the, which I think got hijacked by corporate culture in the 90s, sort of took the authenticity of a lot of these underground bands and commodified it. Mm. But I respect the sort of pure... Author. You know yeah, when you you're know. watching an authentic you band. Know. You know? Absolutely. You, you can't, like uh, no. Zola Jesus is a good example. You watch her perform.
1: Yeah, phenomenal. There, but you can even she, hear it on the record. She's so, channeling
2: it, something. Yeah. But I also respect people who will put themselves in, inside of a persona mm. and completely inhabit it and just fully go for it. I think the really mm. shit thing is... The sort of up the middle, mm. like... You don't oh, know I don't where re- that person I don't stands. Really, yeah, you don't yeah. know where they stand. They don't really care. Yeah. Or they're coming off like they don't care. There's I also no do real love commi- me a
1: good persona. Com- yeah. yeah. I think when I spoke to Alice Cooper, he was chatting about that because he talked about himself in the third person. And I thought it was the most ridiculous thing. Yeah. So I said, like, why are you talking about Alice? I'm talking to you. And he said, no, I'm speaking about the stage, Alice. I right. am a you know a religious man. I love my wife, but the man that gets on stage is completely a He's different a person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. And yes, is he gimmicky? Is he cheesy? Sure, some people might say that, but at least he knows his role, yeah. like a Madonna, like a you know all these all these different artists that yeah. assume this role but do you feel like it's almost a way to save a little bit of who you are like do you save any bit of who you are or i don't do you just, give, <laughs> I do, <laughs> just give i i really don't
2: i really don't like uh i think that's what your I, fans
1: really I, love about you though that you are so open
2: i think that's and i think i think it's not uh it's bizarre but it's it's that quality is is kind of unmarketable you know that's been a constant struggle yeah. with wolf parade like what that just how just so, like, how to mar- how does sub pop market this band <laughs> you know it's just like there's there's really no it's
1: unbelievable what you've achieved though I was looking back just to try and like give myself i don't know we we speak about we have the um, your first album we have that in the car okay so we have like the c d like on
2: c d yeah
1: yeah, because it's like an amazing driving record. It is, though. I
2: never really thought about that. But and
1: yeah. yeah, I'm very like space specific. So uh, like certain pl- things can go with me in certain places and yeah. certain things can't. Yeah. Like there's always a time and a place, which also sounds cliche. No, but no, it
2: doesn't.
1: I was looking back at everything. And I also think that everybody came, the or, like the origin of Wolf Parade came from people from different bands. Yeah. So everybody came with this knowledge of elsewhere and you brought it into this thing yeah so it was defined by the music that you made but it is it is extraordinary that an indie rock band which to be honest indie rock kind of died out
2: it yeah it absolutely did or it mutated, or it mutated. into something yeah, absolutely just yeah. awful like you know well, i people mean people just
1: not feeling confident that indie rock could stand it and became feeling...
2: like Mumford and Sons, yeah. and, you know, the, oh. lumi- the like the. F- is that not just
1: folk? Is that not folk rock? It folk is folk rock. rock.
2: Yeah, I guess it's indie folk. Yeah, it kind of mutated into uh, it uh, mutated you know, into pop music. Yeah, that, they were that's recently pop. those guys were recently uh, photographed with Jordan Fucking Peterson in in the studio, who uh, is like a hilarious grifter, um, but. <laughs> It reminded me, I played a festival, I played a festival that had, Mumford & Sons were playing and The Fall was playing, and I'm a huge fan yeah, of The Fall. The Fall's
1: incredible, yeah. And
2: I got to meet Marky e. Smith, wow. and he was completely incomprehensible. Yeah. I just kind of...
1: I've interviewed him once. He's wow, crazy. yeah.
2: I mean, I, didn't re- I couldn't really follow what he was saying, but I was just excited to meet him, and he was very friendly to me, and then later on in the festival, he just was... Throwing just, full beers at their trailer. Oh, my God. <laughs> like,
1: but wait, do you Because he was
2: so offended yeah. by, uh, by their music. My I was just like, all right, you know. But also, <laughs> I feel
1: like there's a part... So, I found them... I remember when I was like... You know Enemy when Enemy was just wonderful back in the yeah. day when yeah, Enemy yeah. had a music radar? Yeah. Who I think Matt, the guy who used to do that music radar, now does a Beats 1 show. Yeah. He's actually an amazing... He's, he has such a good ear. He found Mumford before they got signed. Right. And Little Lion Man was posted on Enemy. And yeah. I found it. And I, like, don't know how, but I got in touch with the one guitarist. And I thought that they would be huge. But I yeah. didn't know that they would shift a genre <laughs> right. into something that was so. It almost became messy that it was just the same replica of the same sound. And I feel bad that that happened, not to them because they're rich, but I feel bad that it happened to all the other bands trying to do something very authentic in an indie sphere.
2: In that genre, yeah.
1: Because I think that guitars speak a language yeah. and not having them around is like an imbalance of scales like you can't not have the one without the other I think we chatted about this about like record labels the other day yeah you guys also came from such different projects but then how did you be able to speak the same language was it tough in the beginning when you first started Wolf parade
2: yeah well
1: I just communicate no I think I think general? it
2: was totally natural I mean the band really started with me and Spencer so I You know, we were both working awful jobs uh, in... What were you doing? I was telemarketing. No! Yeah. Oh, my God. I telemarketed... (laughs) You
1: have a good voice. (laughs) I hardcore
2: telemarketed for about two and a half years to support myself in Montreal and to support, you know, uh, Wolf Parade, which, you know, we can get into the economics part of this talk later, but, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, And I was good enough at it that I started making commissions so I could, like, maintain... Uh, having an amplifier or like is whatever.
1: montreal really expensive to be an artist in or no, was it back no then? it's
2: absurdly cheap wow. but i was i mean i was broke to the point where yeah i was trying to live off uh, four hundred dollars a month when my rent was you know around 275 dollars in the first place that i moved into and we're cool, working my you know working yeah. full-time so and I it's would that it's a I would hit commission sometimes, well. and I wouldn't hit commission other times. I wouldn't get paid because yeah. these are like fly by night yeah. operations.
1: When did you? When uh, was the moment where it shifted that you had that you had to quit the job in order to follow the band?
2: That would have been that, that passion. That was that would have been like uh, late 2004. Uh, that
1: was like right before the album came out.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I, at that point, I was working in a pharmaceutical company, um, writing surveys basically. <gasps> And the job of the company that I worked for was if a drug company was having a, pro- a PR problem yeah. with a drug that was, say, like, uh, a good example was we ran a campaign for, uh, on Paxil. You know, Paxil, uh, uh, it's, a, it's an anti- yeah. antidepressant. Um, But the problem with Paxil was when you go off of it, they were seeing huge spikes in the number of people who would commit suicide. Oh, my
1: God. And when people went
2: on Paxil, there was a very specific uh, side effect of hearing voices (gasps) and suicidal ideation.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Not that people would follow through with it, but they were just Just hearing the voice and they were having the ideation. So we would get all this data.
1: And you were writing the...
2: Our job was to write a survey that the company would then run... Uh, on a test group of doctors, or like a data pool of doctors, uh, a sorry, pool of doctors, which they would extract the data. But the idea behind writing the survey was the drug company wanted specific data from the surveys. They didn't want,
1: of course, it
2: wasn't yeah. it wasn't a survey. It was uh, the the survey was set up as like a linguistic rat maze. With one exit, which was... The exit was the data they wanted, which is Paxil does not make does not people want it. to kill themselves. Yeah, exactly. In the opinion of these doctors who are being... <laughs> and you had to unquote, work surveyed. in this company. Yeah, I worked there for at least a year. How and did that
1: affect you, dealing with all these like findings and having that moral code well, kind of stretched?
2: For me, it was particularly shitty because my mom yeah. uh, had... Ever since I was about eight years old, she yeah. she had systemic lupus arithmetosis. Oh wow. So she was in and out of intensive care. Uh I didn't see her for a lot of my childhood at home because she was, you know, mostly spending Ew. time in intensive care units in in the next town over. Mm. And this went on like well into my late teens. I'm sorry. And then she that's okay. And then yeah. she uh she went into remission. But lupus lupus is a is a disease that essentially deprograms your uh immune system your mm. your killer t t cells so they they 're no longer capable of differentiating between foreign invaders and yeah, your own and flesh the good things. so you know it can manifest itself anywhere so the way you fix that is you blast your you destroy your immune system it 's like the nuclear option mm. so you, there's this drug called imuran mm. that she was taking Is that what she took yeah uh. and imuran gives they found out later gives people fatal liver cancer so she died of liver cancer is it from this, this yeah it's almost a hundred percent from taking imuran to keep the lupus how old from, were
1: you when she passed away i didn't know i was twenty,
2: twenty three, twenty four. 24 it was right before i moved to montreal uh so i you know i was in montreal you not
1: stay there you had to move
2: i i've been stuck in a rut in victoria you know, playing with Atlas Strategic, we did yeah. one attempted tour of North America that happened to uh, opening for Modest Mouse. That it happened to, unfortunately. No way. Yeah. Oh
1: wow, that's a that But that's a big that's a big bull to get onto when yeah you, when it you was a small kind of coming band.
2: Yeah, we opened for them in our first show was opening for them in Victoria, and Isaac and I had just hit it off because. We have similar sort of backgrounds, yeah. and uh, he brought us out on tour. But unfortunately, September 11th happened uh, the day after the second show. Oh
1: my god! So the tour was canceled. Wow. Uh,
2: so we went back to Canada, and then crazy. a couple months later, went out with them again. But yeah. I had reached a point with that band where any—I mean, anyone who's listening to this who is a musician and mm-hmm. lives in a small community or even a medium-sized community knows this feeling. You work. You get your songs together, you get good. People start coming to the shows. Your friends are always there, but there's a limit. You can't play the mm-hmm. same in town. No, and expect four them to be paying cover a month. And every, yeah, and you can't make. You just cannot no. make a living. No. You can't quit your day job doing that. And you have to. You have to go on tour. And if you go on tour, you're going to lose your day job. You know. Unless you're rich, you know, unless your family is subsidizing your passion for the arts. Yeah. you know. You, there's a real economic reality of living in a mid-sized city and trying to hone your craft and, and turning it into uh, something something workable Meaningful. that you can pay yeah. your rent and eat and keep the lights on, yeah. pay your phone bill.
1: So you had to leave, but yeah. that was the, probably the best thing for yeah. you because you not only left a place that had obviously a really... It had a story and knowing, you know, being in yeah. a place with a story is really difficult to escape that story.
2: Yeah, I kind of barfed all those feelings out on the first Wolf Parade record. That whole record is uh, mainly about growing up in and Lake, being stuck mm. in a rural community mm. and about my mom passing away and mm. about adjusting to living in... Uh, you know, a a bustling metropolis. Yeah, well, in comparison,
1: know? it absolutely is. And I went there the other day for the first time, and it's unbelievably huge. I didn't even. I always thought Montreal was like tiny streets, like nah. has a. But that's also my like Canadian ignorance, because this is the first year I've ever gone to Canada, which sounds like I don't travel, but I have traveled <laughs> the world. Yeah, yeah. I just have never been. I've never yeah. been in Canada. No,
2: well, you went to a special part of Canada too. Yeah, it's kind of. Uh, Exactly. Really, really distinct from the yeah, rest, exactly. rest of the country. So. and it,
1: that feels more home for me because it feels more European.
2: Montrealers, I, I feel like, have a similar uh, similar thing to New Yorkers, and the two cities are very like deeply intrinsically linked in terms yeah. of the uh, uh, subcultures there, and even the even the like um, national makeup. Like, you know, Montreal is the second biggest Hasidic Jewish population. North America mm-hmm, Italians yeah Irish it's like a miniature version of Brooklyn mm. basically and it has been for it was
1: unbelievable but with
2: the backdrop of yeah. uh, you know the French the FLQ bombings and in, in the 70s and and uh, the sort of liberation of uh, the québécois you know uh, so yeah but it has this mm. it has this sort of br- brusque friendliness mm. to it that mm. I really love
1: yeah there's like a dirt to it which i really like like it's grimy yeah but so how did it inform the way that you wrote as in allowed you to feel freer and more open to your own feelings as as an artist because you were just starting out yeah you were trying to in inverted commas make it how did montreal afford you that doorway cheap rent okay
2: yeah (laughs) cheap cheap rent but what
1: about location wise in terms of traveling you could tour there oh and you could go easier, right? well
2: oh yeah cuz for the west coast you know your options are if you're a young band on vancouver island it's going to cost you 100 dollars to get your van on a boat to go oh to the mainland God. and then your choices are vancouver which is notoriously a shitty, shitty. place <laughs> to play music yeah it's it's
1: why is it the venues or the a type of bands
2: I don't know I mean I'm, and I'm not saying Vancouver hasn't produced amazing artists which it absolutely has mm-hmm. like Black Mountain and mm-hmm. Destroyer and and uh, all those bands but uh, Mecha Normal and stuff like that but but Vancouver has consistently I've felt like for as long as I've been alive been almost hostile to the mm-hmm. idea of uh, of a music scene that is self-sustainable and I mm-hmm. think a lot of it has to do with real estate
1: yeah, the type of money and type of jobs that are there. Type yeah. Of people. That's, yeah.
2: Yeah, and the rent there is—it's absurd. It's like the San Francisco of of Canada. It's I uh, suppose
1: it's on that, it's on that strip, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a total
2: real estate bubble. It's foreign capital parked yeah. in condos that no one lives in, and then just a bunch of, you know, sort of utopian tech bros, yeah. uh, who, you know, are buying and flipping condos and, you know, yeah, cannot possibly it. imagine anyone else's life beyond their own, mm, mm. you know? But so like, when you were
1: in Montreal and then you linked up with Spencer, yeah. who just left, by the way, he was in the, you guys are playing he was in the room. Yeah, are tonight in Chicago. Yeah, tonight <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> do you remember the first show you ever played together?
2: I do, yeah. Um, well, the first jam we had yes. was I, I went to his apartment. He was living in uh, NDG, Notre Dame de Grasse, which mm. is like, not a fashionable part of Montreal, <laughs> by any means. Um, and That's he, cool. He had a Jupiter 4 synthesizer. I brought my guitar over. We plugged in through his computer. And the, I think the original idea was he was going to play keyboards on a bunch of songs that I had written okay. for my own project. And then I was going to play guitar for Sunset Rubdown, which would have been brand. his yeah, project. His yeah, Which he had already started at this yes. point. Yeah. And then slowly we were kind of like, maybe this is just a one band thing. Yeah. And then a friend of ours was putting on a show for, don't remember the name of the band. They were they were like the Belgian, they were like a Belgian uh, stereo lab, direct video stereo lab, like a shitty version of stereo lab, but <laughs> yeah. instead of French, they were Belgian. <laughs> um, and they were playing at the Jupiter room. And we had joked to this guy, Alex, that, Spencer and I were like, "Yeah, we totally have a band, haha!" And he just put us on the bill, made a poster, so we had to play the show.
1: What were you? What, what did you call yourself that night?
2: We had to call ourselves Wolf Parade. But that where was, did
1: that come from?
2: We just came what up with a name. We just like.
1: But did you see a wolf and there was a parade? Like, what happened? I, where did uh, it come from?
2: I had, Atlas Strategic had played a show in Victoria with his band called Mice Parade. Um, okay. Who rolled in, played this local sports bar that everybody played at and we were opening for them and they treated everybody like absolute dog shit. So um we found a giant picture of a like airbrushed wolf like you'd see on the side of like a a stoner van and hung (laughs) it up behind them before they played and changed the sign to say uh spirit of wolf (laughs) parade.
1: That is, I mean, ballsy. And that name bullsy. kind of,
2: well, I mean, I kinda, I was kind of like, nap you, <laughs> you come to my town.
1: Come to my town. I mean, we were all very, <laughs>
2: Spencer was in the same scene. Spencer played in Frog Eyes. And we yeah. all, I mean, I'm not proud of it, but.
1: Yeah. You got to Car- do what it is. Carrie, Spencer,
2: and I, like, we all knew we didn't suck. Yeah. You know, and I felt like a lot of times we would get relegated to, you know, if you want to keep working, you have to open. For the bands who are coming through town. So we were always the opening bands. Yeah. Frog Eyes, Wolf Parade, mm-hmm. some of our friends' bands. And, you know, 80% of the time people are cool. But then you get these people to come through.
0: And yeah, they just would don't
2: just want be anything to absolute fucking yeah. shits. Like just Have the you ever most... been in
1: a fight with a shit opening band?
2: Yeah, totally. Oh, really? Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Have you thrown a few punches? Yes. <laughs> Damn.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was. Uh, <laughs> you were I young. I was a punk. Yeah, you yeah, were a punk. I was coming out of the punk scene, but I really felt this sort of like, yeah, twenty twenty five percent of the time there'd be this shitty kind of disrespect that I felt like came from maybe privilege also we were very mm. defensive mm.
1: of course I, yeah i
2: think you know we time. knew we lived in a crappy place so. yeah
1: you didn't want anybody else to say that
2: yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah so that was that show that was how the name came and we also played with uh, a very early version of arcade fire which was basically just win and regine and i don't even think they had a drummer at that show
1: so was it just the, oh, they played before you or no,
2: after we play, you? No, we played before them. Okay. And we, we had folded Arlen into Wolf Parade. Uh, we had two rehearsals before. Yeah. He'd heard the songs twice, maybe, you know? And we played like eight songs.
1: Did you know that you were good? Like, was there ever a, a show that you played where you thought, this is, this is something that I feel will, you know, follow through with me?
2: I didn't know it was gonna turn into what it is today, but I definitely felt at the first show. Spencer had this song called The Weather Song, which we recorded with Howard Billerman at the Godspeed Studios. Just he just recorded us for free. Wow. We did that in like a super early version of this Hearts on Fire. And I remember playing the Weather Song live at that show in front of, you know, our friends and loved ones, you know, and I was like, this band is fucking good. <laughs> like, like you just it, felt it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I just I had never felt that connected mm. with other musicians on stage or like mm. uh like we we're like I was working as a unit to convey this energy or feeling mm. to the audience before.
1: So then I mean I almost feel like you didn't stop touring then from that from that first record.
2: No. Or did you Well,
1: I feel like you're always kind of t- like in some sort of flux of touring. Yeah. Like just generally with all your different things. Yeah.
2: Or yeah. <laughs> I'm always on. I'm always either on tour or writing, you know.
1: So you never stop.
2: No. Not really. I mean, maybe I should at <laughs> some point, but But
1: does it affect you at all because you're clearly not somebody who stops writing when they're on tour. You don't need those two two worlds to remain separate or do you
2: uh i get ideas for songs on tour more than i sit down and write actual notes and parts you know uh i'm inspired by touring even if it's places i've been to before uh
1: what about it is inspiring
2: it's the momentum of travel meeting other people getting outside of your bubble you know even if it's to land inside of another bubble.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah which you almost always do.
2: Yeah, course. another cool neighborhood yeah. that's mostly white people, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. For real. Like, that's... Yeah, I mean, that's...
1: Especially the one that we're in at the moment.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this is a North American thing. In Europe, I think it's yeah, it's different. different. Yeah. It is totally different, uh, especially the further east used to go, you know?
1: After all these years, how do you determine what the right balance is then? I don't What's know
2: how own? to... I I don't. I'm incapable of figuring it out. And occasionally it will break into whatever sort of, you know, right now I have a very chill, Mm. like for lack of a better word, chill Mm. domestic scene where when I'm at home, you know, I have my partner Mm. I deeply love. I have a dog. I have a studio. I don't know yet. His name is Archie. Oh
1: my god, I can't believe I've not seen a photo yet. Oh,
2: I'll show you. He's he's <laughs> yes. adorable. Thank you, you. know, actually, when I'm you put this up, I've you will know, I'll I'll send you some good glamour <laughs> good. shots
1: because we are dog lovers on the show. <laughs> um, um, so so, so that you this, have that balance have this, when you get home. I do, but mm-hmm. you
2: know, it's like if you're constantly work, you know, constantly working and constantly on tour, it's eventually gonna grate up against your you know your personal Brilliant. relationships yeah. like I have a lot of friends I don't ever hang out with anybody mm. I'm mostly alone you know
1: is that the way you want to be though like do you prefer that I just, just to don't, be in your own space I just
2: don't feel like there's a I don't I don't have time to hang out is that because socialize? you're a touring
1: musician cause you don't have time to nurture those relationships
2: yeah I mean I have, over the years, nurtured relationships with people that I've met on the road who have become very, very close friends to me. I'd say, like, some of the closest people in my life, or the closest people in my life. Mm. The problem is, is that they're spread out all across the planet. So, like, after I wrapped up the Wolf Parade tour this summer in uh, Porto, Mm. we played Primavera.
1: Porto is quite phenomenal. I I went there for the first time a few weeks ago. I love it. It's... Yeah. yeah. I did, literally took my breath away. I had to like remind myself to breathe. Yeah. So beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. So you wrapped up in then. I wrapped
2: up in Porto the, and then I, I I've got a flight. I took a flight to Belgrade, uh, Serbia, and hung out with two, three of my just really for people I've known in a work capacity since 2007. Wow. But yeah. who I have developed uh, like a deep friendship with my friend Ivan, uh, my friend Svetlana, and my friend Kepa. And they all work in music in some capacity in, in Serbia. And, uh, and you I spent, connect with them. Yeah, and I spent 10 days just being with them. And then I went and
1: not to, writing. You didn't write?
2: I was writing while I was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like,
1: no way you're going to not reading write. was reading
2: and writing, yeah. So is that uh, how then, you
1: kind of nurture your creative side? when Because I, feel, I yeah. just always feel like there's something going on Every time I check in with you, there's something happening. you're either writing something or you're gonna tour something or starting a new project
2: yeah well
1: How I mean you... I, I
2: think there's two there's two reasons for that like the first is uh i mean one is one is kind of sad and boring and the other one is 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 exciting and fun so
1: Let's start with the sad and boring cause it's sa- probably not sad and boring the
2: sad and boring is that none of the bands I've been in have ever had. Or I think will ever have uh, like commercial radio success. They've always been cult bands, you know. Yeah,
1: Wolf Parade's a total cult. band. Well attended, but it's sh- huge. Yeah, well, like yeah. well attended
2: shows, but very. I mean, have you seen our our social media stats? They're <laughs> like Wolf, Wolf Parade. I think has less Twitter followers than I do then personally. You- <laughs> and maybe but that's
1: because are you tweeting?
2: I'm tweeting. You got
1: to tweet, and you got to do Instagram yeah. stories. Yeah, I know. A bunch, I know. GIFs, a bunch of gifts, a bunch yeah. of mentions, a bunch of location drops. Yeah, it's tiring. It is, yeah. but
2: you know, uh, I guess all that to say, like, yeah, like Wolf Parade never. Never had a hit. Handsome Furs never had like a hit on the radio. Divine Fits, Divine Fits, yeah, a little more, a little more so, yeah, definitely college radio for all those bands. Same with Operators, you know.
1: Which, in terms of numbers, is gigantic. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, that that is a big deal.
2: But all that all that to say is like all these bands, they're cult bands, Mm. you know, with a fan base that has slowly been built up over the year, over Mm. the last thirteen years, Mm. you know. This family of people that sort of drift between uh going to yeah. one project show, <laughs> to going that. to another. There's a lot of crossover, you know. So there's but that means I constantly have to be working. I have to. I have to write. I have to write, I have to tour. Are
1: you talking about the economics of yeah. it? Okay. Or no yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking maybe your creative side. Well, this is the good this, this is the good the, okay. The, that was the boring set <laughs> and,
2: and, and kind of grim reality it's, of it but it's it's a
1: reality i think you're the first artist to really talk to me about this though i have to say like it, but, nobody, but nobody but it's wants not like i have a
2: fucking gun it. to my head to no. do this. and that's <laughs> the other side the other side of it that's is i am compelled to to yeah. start new projects and write and my favorite thing to do is get off of a tour go to my home studio fire up like a sequencer plug my guitar in mm. turn on whatever fucking synth i have And just go to that space where I'm not conscious of where I am or what I'm doing and just start yammering stuff into the microphone and and, and then a song happens. And that's Mm. like
0: that is really
2: like the best thing in my life. You know? But and then, I, what I, I is not... the
1: tripwire? What is the thing that kind of sets you off? Then the part of it that doesn't make you feel like it is the good side of being a touring musician. The
2: part of it, the part of it that freaks me out is if I ever did want to take a break. You can't. You can't. Yeah.
1: Well, you you could, in essence, of like a week at home
2: <laughs> I could and, I, and i've been not, doing that I've been doing that more frequently, you know I like
1: that you have I think that it's incredibly important for your well being just to have a stable grounding at least a little just for a little portion, yeah, especially because of how much you did tour quite a lot with operators as well yeah,
2: we did and I then you
1: guys did loads of festivals and
2: then we st- and then we kind of yeah, we ground out that album and then we just basically you know cross faded into wolf parade has been. Sort of nonstop stop Prom- yeah, since, cry. since yeah. 2016, since we announced those reunion shows. So, but you know. now... But now Operators is uh, wrapping up. We're, I'd say we're halfway done making the second album.
1: What? When, okay. When is the album going to be out? Do you know?
2: Can um, you tell me? Yeah, as far as I know, it should be out in April of 2019.
1: I'm smiling but, like an absolute goop, because you know how much <laughs> I love Operators. I that do. was like... Because it's just everything that I love. Dance, love electronic, and the way that you like grind it. The pacing is great. April of 2019. Of next year. Okay. But yeah. you are already writing.
2: Well, it's, the record is written. Uh, and it's, I'd say like six, 75% recorded. So it just needs vocal. We're, we're kind of at the stage where we're doing like textural overdubs. And, uh, and then the next stage is vocals. So, and so then exciting. and then we'll mix it and then we'll be done. And the plan is to, basically, there'll be new Operators music before the record comes out. Like we'll Yeah, out you'll release. A few songs. We wrote a lot of songs for this record. We wrote 17 songs. We've recorded 13 of them so Do you far.
1: sample your songs before you put it onto the record, before you release it? Do you sample it live?
2: To play them to live? play them live, yeah. I like doing that. And, uh, I mean... When is this episode going up?
1: Not next week, but the following week. Okay. Why?
2: <laughs> well, I'm going to be playing... Uh, you know, I had this band, Handsome Furs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be playing two Handsome Furs shows in December.
1: Are they, are they announced?
2: they're no. not announced
1: so this must not, not to be in the episode it can
2: be in the episode I'm, Really, are yeah. You allowed yeah i'm just not gonna say where they are okay but, that's uh, good yeah yeah that's
1: fucking exciting so your I'm, fans are gonna be going nuts
2: I, th- I think they're gonna be happy but it's You're bas-
1: dropping all the scoops man. It's basically
2: what well, saving them up you know
1: yeah for, for me
2: so yeah i think we're gonna you know we're doing these two uh handsome first shows because i really miss playing those songs and, uh, so there's no
1: new material, it's just no, the songs? Okay, just the
2: songs. And, uh, and then we're going to play some new operators tunes at those shows as well.
1: So this will be in December?
2: This will be in December in two select cities. Okay.
1: <laughs> Unnamed, select, Unnamed cities. select cities. So everybody can tell us which cities they would yeah. prefer, Handsome Furs and Operator songs to come to. Exactly. I think the first time I ever interviewed you was you were on the road. Yeah. But you were the most engaging human being I'd spoken to in such a long time on the road. I had not experienced that. It, it was truly one of the most inspiring first meetings I've had.
2: I loved doing that interview. because yeah. I, I mean, from my side of it, it was I'm amazing. not denigrating like the job of music journalist, but I'd, you know, a lot of interviews you do are,
1: yeah,
2: d- people are reading the bio and they're asking questions that they know, yeah, they already know the answer to them. They've already written, written them. So when I did the interview with you, I was like, oh, I'm actually connecting Thinking. with another human being, like, being challenged. And it's like, hard you to know. do
1: interviews, I'm sure, on the road, which we don't think about that side of things. You're, like, on the road, you're either bored or you like, really anxious because you want to just get to the next place. Yeah,
2: or your mind is just absolutely yeah. annihilated from lack of sleep or from, you know, I mean, you know... If you do ecstasy, yeah, you're depleting
1: <laughs> brain cells.
2: Well, you're depleting your serotonin. You know, like yeah, you're, you, that's you know, you wake up after after a good weekend of doing a fuck ton of MDMA, and you're and you are literally making withdrawal from the happy bank.
1: Yeah, you
2: know, and and <laughs> and I, then
1: you've got to put on this like show.
2: Yeah, and then and the, to but try and be but I mean, touring coherent. is the same as uh, for me at least because there's this catharsis of being on stage
1: That high. Yeah.
2: yeah. and you're and and just even if it's not happy, it's like a it's just an intense emotional gush and then you have to come down from that after the show and then you just do it again and again. And it's the gra- it's yeah. the best thing in the world, but eventually um you get these little valleys where you're in like the the desert of the mind and then you have to do an interview and, and it's you literally have to be like chilled, a fucking and you have to be tumbleweed blowing through and a yeah. How,
1: but then, how do you? I think earlier I asked about being creatively nurtured. Then, how do you keep yourself okay in those moments? Because, as you said, you do have to tour a lot, yeah. function, and because you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. But how do you make sure that you aren't in that pit of dark hole from exhaustion? From like, what do you do to to bring yourself to a point where you feel kind of more human?
2: Oh, there's there's a lot of you know like dialing back uh, any sort of substance abuse yeah. on tour like I figured that out pretty early on you can't just, you? you can't just throw a bunch of shit in your body and Expected and function. just cross your fingers <laughs> and hope that at the end of three months that you're gonna be a normal yeah you're gonna be like you're gonna have a normal one yeah you know there are no more normal ones after (laughs) that there's like
1: you are forever just a mangled glob
2: yeah Yeah, exactly and it's you know it's like seeing people who are older than me you know but then uh but then you know other stuff just basically like take a walk really engage realize that you are in a different place every day and embrace it and uh read. Try and read a lot.
1: I know. I love that you read so much. I think that's what we connected on last time. And then you were telling me earlier, what were you reading? What are you reading now? I'm not going to ask you a reading list, because I know that people do ask people that.
2: Now. I'm reading this book called uh, Sisyphian, which is a, like, a very bizarre, like, Cronenbergian like, sci-fi body. I, I wanna, it's not even body horror, because it doesn't even deal with humanity. It's about, uh, as far as I can tell, it's about a transhuman evolution caused by a plague of nanotechnology. But it doesn't explain that to you. You have to kind of piece it together.
1: Like it, what's... Do they start it like the destruction? Well, I don't want to know. They sta- I want to read their
2: uh, It's Basically, it starts with like a... It starts with... The, it's divided into uh, different stories that take place in the same universe. But it starts with what's basically like a, a like pitch black office comedy about this one sort of blob who's working for another blob called the president and it's just it's is and, and the blob working for the president is just humiliated physically tortured uh it's his job it, or there's no gender so it's yeah. its job yeah. is like mind-bendingly absurd you know like extruding these organs and making sure that it sounds yeah. amazing it's incredible it's taken me a while to read because it's it's almost written in a different language you know which,
1: which are the best ones to read i find yeah. if, especially when you have to like repage back and read just yeah. because you think that you've taken in and that your comprehension skills are good yeah and then you get to the end and you're like what the fuck happened you look yeah. out the window and you're like gotta go back totally to. i really do enjoy those as well but yeah. especially considering how much time you have as well do you feel like you naturally got into the groove of touring? I know you mentioned that you like knew substance abuse wasn't going to be the thing yeah. that got you further. Yeah. But did you, how did you get into the groove? So naturally considering how much you tour and knowing also, cause you're, you're a very self-aware person as well. You know what the things are going to do to you, what things can do, you know,
2: I try, I try to be, I mean, I think I got in the groove of touring because I loved it. I, the idea of travel, you know, the first real North American tour I did with Wolf Parade, everything was endlessly fascinating to me and, like, still is. Like, I mean, I, I mean yeah. even, like, fucking Indiana, right? Like, I, <laughs> I remember being in a van in the summer, driving in the middle of the night, racing to try and get to a show that, you know, we had to drive for, like, a full 24 hours without stopping. And we were driving through Indiana and we were in this agri- sort of farmland. It just this, it just smelled different, and it sounded different, and they were, you know, we stopped at a gas station. There were like different insects than I'd seen, stuff like that, you know, just the real small details. The
1: details. But and actually the, taking I, notice of it as well. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, the idea that you're you're moving, you're 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 not at home, you're not you're outside of a place that's comfortable to you.
1: Is there a perfect tour for you? Like something that's happened that everything just ran really smoothly? Hmm. has there ever been that, that no, that's happened i don't
2: think ever perfect the last operators tour i felt like was as close as i could get to perfect and the last uh the last operators tour in or the last wolf raid tour in europe yeah uh was for me almost a perfect tour
1: what what makes a perfect tour for you
2: just the shows were great yeah uh it was summertime it was you know it was early june so
1: do you feel more accepted by the european crowds
2: Depends on what I'm bringing over. you know? So like, like operators. Operators, I feel, uh, has they gone over it. better in Europe than it has in uh, in North America, with the exception of the coasts, you know, mm. which are always pretty cosmopolitan. Um, Wolf Parade is always goes over best in America for some reason. Um, I told
1: you, people think you're an American band.
2: Everybody does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's... So it's,
1: strange. It's
2: bizarre. Yeah. We've never really been accepted by the... Uh, CanCon like the Canadian music community. You haven't? No, not not at all.
1: Wait, isn't that the exact opposite of what their agenda is to nurture and support local artists?
2: I mean they do I mean the the cultural institution now after the after we reformed Post Reformation, <laughs> yeah, um, has been uh, uh, has been more supportive of, of us because I think it, we we've gotten to a point where they literally can't ignore us. Yeah,
1: you, but, I mean, how did they ignore you from the start? Was it because you were in a genre that they didn't understand? Was it because uh, you?
2: We're on an American label, and we never played the game of Cancon like we mm. never Canadian content. Like mm. we never we never had a Canadian manager.
1: Mm. What, was that why why didn't you
2: because it seemed pointless mm. we looked at like you know I don't want to be like a fucking folk band that is you know you know sure you do like two two and two and a half thousand tickets in Toronto and you can yeah. sell out Peterborough and stuff and you know, I don't really care if this makes me sound, like, not patriotic. Like, I don't... It's like...
1: No, I feel like you are, but my, it isn't... If you weren't accepted yeah. in that, or you didn't accept it either, that's a different story. You and know? I think
2: we instinctively knew right from mm. the beginning, as, as Canadians, the only way to bust out of that very, very small, uh, small world mm. of Canadian entertainment, mm. that's specifically Canadian, uh, was to go to the United States and Europe. Because I, I wanted to, you know, Wolf Parade started, I, I wasn't dreaming of, like, playing in Van, like, flying to Vancouver from Montreal and playing there. Of course, mm. it's awesome to do that. I wanted to play in New York. Mm. And... I wanted to go to Europe. I had never been to Europe. I know, I was gonna before. just ask you like, if
1: you had travelled before you no, started I, I traveling. I
2: was poor. I was I, you no, I the was poor right <laughs> I couldn't like fucking go anywhere. I had to work.
1: But did you did was, you like, do you remember the first place that you went to? Yeah,
2: I do. Way. Oslo. <laughs> no way. Yeah, which is like in retrospect. No way. So like, <laughs> uh, like Norway as my entry point for like Europe Europe, like yeah. capital E Europe was in retrospect, pretty non-representational. Yeah, pretty you know. brutal.
0: But it's not Europe. part of the European Union. No.
2: I remember I had, I, I had taken, like, I had a sum of money that I had taken with me that was supposed to last me this whole tour, and I went out, the driver <laughs> for Oya Festival picked me up from the airport, and I was just like, he was like, do you have any friends? I got in a day early, mm. and he was like, because your breastfeed band's not here. I was like, nope. And he was like, all right, we're going out drinking. And I... <laughs> Didn't realize how expensive yeah, booze was. Scandinavian
1: so booze is so expensive. It's so I spent all
2: my money and... Uh, in
1: the one night?
2: Yeah, in the one <laughs> night. I had like 120 bucks. I thought it was going to last me like the whole... Never. You know, 10-day tour. And I just blew through it at, the, at some metal bar with this Norwegian guy. I had the best time. So that
1: like, was your first festival that you guys played? Yeah, Oya. it was Oya, Oya. Have you been back since? Uh,
2: I have played Oya Festival with Handsome First, yeah. It's yeah. a great festival. I love it. Yeah. It's, amazing. it's around the
1: same time as a few. There's one in Sweden called Way Out West, and then there's one in Finland yeah. called um, Flow in yeah. Helsinki. We've like,
2: played all of those yeah, or, uh, that like one's with the my different favorite. bands. Flow is amazing. Yeah. Like Flo... Spencer and I individually have both played that a couple yeah, of
1: times. So yes, I, I was there when Spencer played um, with
2: uh C9. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: That was unbelievable. That yeah. was his last show. That's the one yeah. that he said was the last show. Yeah, that was yeah. at Flow Festival. That's right. I think Morrissey played after them or something. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, that's right. So yeah, that I was my introduction to Europe. I I just, you know, I knew people who what, are the, what do they call it in England, in uh the UK? It's something like gap year.
1: Yeah. Right? I had I did two years. Yeah took two years I went to live in London. Mm-hmm. It was never an option to go studying. You had to find yourself and figure out what the hell you wanted to do. I think it that's wasn't health. privilege. I it wasn't money.
2: fairly healthy. Yeah. But I don't know how I would have... Where I was... You know, where I came from, it was like it the only normal. people going to Europe were rich kids.
1: Yeah, on that gap year. On that you yeah. backpacking year. Yeah, yeah.
2: They'd go stay in a hostel it's and it's have sex amazing? with an Australian <laughs> and, you know, like... Or an Israeli. It's true. It's always, <laughs> the always the Australians loosest, or Israelis. The two
1: loosest cultures. Well, the, two, which I the, I most,
2: love. the two most tra- travelingest <laughs> yeah, cultures. Yeah, like, Yeah, so.
1: I can't believe that was. So, that was the first place that you went to. Yeah, Norway. When was. Do you remember the year?
2: Yeah, it was 2004. <laughs> uh, four. It was before. Or fi- It was maybe 2005 before the album came out. It would have been spring 2005. Maybe. I
1: always feel like you've been yeah. around for longer. But I suppose it's long now. It's
2: long. It's 13 years ago, you know.
1: So much is, how much has changed? Like for you, uh, on a, not on a personal, as in your human development level, because that is, I'm sure, exponential. But how much in terms of your work and your art has shifted because of where you came from? And then having that opportunity to travel the world with your art.
2: It completely restructured me uh, artistically and politically. Absolutely. Like, that tour was the beginning of it. Mm. Um, The artistic reconstruction, because I was exposed. Especially in Helsinki. We played this insane show in Helsinki that sort of created this anchor for Wolf Parade. And all of our... You know, Spencer lived in Finland for years. We have... A lot of great friends there. But that totally, like, yeah, that totally restructured, like, the whole thing. And, uh,
1: yeah. Jimmy, I can come in. Yeah, you guys can. You can it. come in. we we'll just hang out on the, the You can say hello if you'd like. <laughs> hello. <laughs> I think.
2: Spencer's hello. getting a beer out of the fridge.
1: Spencer's here getting a beer out <laughs> of the fridge.
2: Dante brought me some <laughs> kafta.
1: Sounds like summer. With the cicadas.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Gosh. Gosh.
1: Oh, I wish I had like glasses that I could. Yeah, I should actually be wearing my glasses. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, so that, that restructured it. Completely. So
2: that restructured it completely because I got exposed to everything, in, the world. Yeah, everything. Absolutely, everything. It kind of busted me out of this. Uh, I've had I've had a couple of these these tours that have that have kicked things forward artistically and and politically for me too the other the other tour that really fundamentally changed me as a person was uh, the tour where I met the Serbian friends I mentioned Uh, handsome furs did a foray into Eastern Europe and we played in Russia Mm -hmm. played in Moscow on that tour and you know I, I was in political science as and history when I was a student, uh my brief tenure as a student um, which i could couldn't afford to keep <laughs> up, <laughs> even though I loved it but yeah. um but my focus was really like cold war era uh cold war and post cold war mm. Eastern Europe. I was just obsessed with it, so yeah. I talked my European booking agent into allowing us like basically convinced him to let us go play in Belgrade, wow. Zagreb, uh, Moscow, and the Baltic states. Mm. And what year
1: was this? Was this still... 2006,
2: 2007. Okay, so like you right traveled when, a little yeah, before ra- that. Yeah, I'd done some yeah. European touring at that yeah. point yeah. with Wolf Parade and with Handsome Furs, but never out east. So that was the year that like, Plague Park, the first Handsome Furs record, yeah. which is named after a park in Helsinki. Where they buried all the plague victims. Um, we we went out to Eastern Europe, or quote unquote Eastern Europe mm-hmm. and the Balkans and Russia. And I realized after t- spending hours, like staying up late, talking to promoters, people I met at shows, people who I'm still friends with, I was, everything I had learned about this part of the world, this, you know, Soviet and non aligned, in the case of Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. blocks, it was all bullshit. Mm. Professors that I had at university were absolute neoliberals, Mm. you know?
1: With an agenda to push uh, from their side. I
2: don't even know if they realized they had this agenda. It was (laughs) this whole Fukuyo, like the end of history doctrine, you know? That capitalism had won and democracy... uh, Democracy had spread. Mm -hmm. Communism was a dead ideology and was never good for anything anyway. They were rewriting history, Mm -hmm. right? And I was indoctrinated. And And then you got...
1: into the belly of it, and then started speaking to people
2: Real who people. lived through it. Yeah, people who grew up in Yugoslavia or yeah. Soviet Russia. And I remember the the biggest experience for me was being in a bar in Belgrade, which is like probably my favorite city on earth. Uh, and some guy asking me, "Hey, where are you from? Are you American?" <laughs> and I'd been I toured Europe a few times enough to know. I was like, oh, but, you know, I'm Canadian. Yeah. I'm going to tell him I'm <laughs> yeah, Canadian. Yeah, you're not going to say you're American. <laughs> so I told him I, I was Canadian, and he started screaming at me about the NATO bombing and wow. the Canadian intervention in, uh you know, the Biatch and all these, uh you know, Canadian forces operations via mm-hmm. NATO. You know, the NATO bombed the shit out of Belgrade. And he got... Worked really up mad. to the point where I thought he was going to beat the crap out of me. Yeah, you know he's not. He's not on the right. No. He's not a pro Milosevic guy. Yeah. he's just pissed that uh, international forces fucking carpet bombed or smart bombed and the shit out you of the city.
1: In his spa.
2: Yeah. On
1: tour with your band. On tour with my from band Canada. from
2: Canada. <laughs> I was leaving. I was leaving Serbia. I was going back to Canada. He, had, he was staying. What you did know? you do?
1: How did you approach that? How did
2: you tackle uh, that? You know, he. I just kind of talked them down and uh, i just let them yell at me basically
1: but i feel like you are, and i love
2: that place yeah, and i love exactly. I, I love those you're not, people you're you know? not gonna be so. against
1: it that will be defensive yeah, obviously yeah. you were there to learn well,
2: it didn't turn me off of the yeah. place at all and it was the opposite i started reading and talking to people and reading more and then asking people about the stuff that i read
1: do you feel like and you're gonna go live there
2: i would love to yeah you know i would absolutely love to but that was a huge political shift mm. for me and that and, you know, touring the places like Balkans and China and seeing how their independent communities, music and art communities worked and how inclusionary they were with, uh, you know, people who were not necessarily from there mm-hmm. or women, you know. And then I went back, I would go back to Montreal and I'd be like, this place fucking sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> There is something strange about living in a place that isn't contentious at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I did feel that when I even visited that you don't, I don't know much about the history, but it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't feel like it hasn't been affected by the world and things, but it certainly doesn't feel like generations have been lost or,
2: but but when you go
1: into those places in Europe, you, you meet that guy, that type of guy. It hasn't, it
2: hasn't gone through even the kind of trauma that, Russia went through. But I well, feel bad for it,
1: saying that it isn't that yeah. we prefer a place with trauma because I do. I yeah. that's where I come from.
2: Yeah, and I yeah. think it creates a different type of society. Yeah, uh, and a different mentality that is often overlooked by. Uh, and, and I, you know, I had to be educated by people from those cultures about this. Like I did, I was, I was <laughs> the same. Uh, I I was a dummy. You mm. know, I had no idea. But like you know, going yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was I was ignorant to this, to these sort of to
1: nobody's fault, but just lack of information or lack of correct information. Yeah, well, the the
2: way like massive loss of life on a national scale creates, uh, you know, both negative and positive Mm -hmm. things, but definitely creates like a unity. In a way, like I felt like the first, I had so many misconceptions about Russia specifically Mm. when I went there. Can you
1: imagine people now? Well, it's it's fucking worse worse. now. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. It's absolutely
2: worse, especially with the amount of like historical revisionism, with you know places like Hungary, Ukraine, Mm. and Poland, and and to a very extreme part, uh, Croatia Mm. trying to whitewash their roles, yeah. their, fasc, their fascist yeah. history in World War II. But to go, I mean, to go to Russia and make friends there and talk to people and talk to people's parents, especially. And then, you know, I I grew up thinking that America and Canada and Britain stopped the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And really, it was the Soviet Union throwing bodies at it, you know? And... And the trauma that that created, the loss of life, uh, the, you know, gender imbalance mm-hmm. that it created uh, back home when the war was finally over, when World War II was mm-hmm. finally over. You know, that, I didn't realize, even though i had been in history classes, I didn't realize how deeply that informed a lot of Ru- Russian culture, contemporary Russian culture. But, but how I how do I was you just connect then it. on I an art
1: know. level, on an artistic level? Sorry to bring it back, yeah. but how, I think that's what's fascinating for me is because how do you then bring it into, other than having conversations with people and being able to be spongy and learn constantly and yeah, speak I'm to a, different people. I'm
2: at the annoying sponge when yeah. I want to, or <laughs> I'm the I same, irritate. But- my friends. I think yeah. it,
1: is a, it is an absolutely necessary trait. But how do you then bring it into your art? Especially if you're making art right now. I don't want to ask the question of how a platform can affect an artist. You know, yeah. if an artist has a platform, does, do they need to have a, narrat- a political agenda or political narrative to their music? Certainly not what I'm wondering about. Yeah. But I think for me, especially knowing how passionate you are about this yeah. and seeing your tweets... And you know you you don't you don't keep quiet. No. In a good, not not as in you don't shout. Yeah. But as in you don't just lay back. So how do you do? You feel obliged, or do you feel like it's necessary for you to bring it into your art now?
2: Yeah, I do. And how I the do, hell do you do that it, with
1: something like operators or with something like you know Parade, I, I th- understand. I think but.
2: I bring it in. I think there's a real danger. Uh, you know when you you talk to people uh, and you listen to them I think there's a way you people bring those stories into their art that is uh, essentially retelling somebody else's story and I I am not mm. into that mm. at all you know right. I don't okay. want to be
1: somebody's putting speaker. on a
2: putting on a pantomime or yeah. t- or strip mining somebody's mm. uh, personal experiences yeah. I mean as a songwriter, it's kind of hard not to do that sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I think that I think the way it's informed my art is, you know, if I talk to a friend of mine in the Balkans and he describes to me his experiences during say, the NATO bombing uh, I'm not going to write a song about in his voice that I'm you know, I'm not going to steal that or take that from him Mm -hmm. and retell it But I try and I try and just apply it to the way I think about politics, like really take those words to heart. how How does that reflect? How does that change how I think about politics? And how does that change how I think about like the nature of humanity? And Mm. if I can learn, if I can look inside myself and check myself about those things after hearing these stories, then I'm definitely going to be able to write something better. I'm going to be able to convey something better and more true. Something positive, mm. you know?
1: Do you have some sort of mission as such that you try to kind of carry across with you? Uh,
2: yeah, uh, be nice to each other, full socialism now. <laughs> yeah, That's, that's where I I I'm... I mean, I
1: kind of <laughs> guess, but that's yeah. That's
2: pretty much where I'm at. I mean, it sounds And in songwriting,
1: in terms of your subject, how do you connect to that then? When you're having all this information on the one side, you're experiencing yeah. all this information firsthand, how do you bring it into... You know, what are you writing about then? Well, I
2: mean, with the last Operator's Record, I was kind of juxtaposing uh, my experience living in Silicon Valley at a time when, you know, pre-Cambridge Analytica, Mm pre-election, all this, and just feeling the impending wave of uh, absolute chaos information, you know? This like fucking churning vortex of like unreality yeah. where nothing is true, mm. and anything can be said. And now, and and I, I tried to, I tried to sing songs about that. But when I was singing about them, I was like, you know, I, there's a song about a space colony. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> I mean, that's why I love you because it's like, what the fuck? Where does that come from? Because well, I'm, I'm not gonna, d- I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sing, I'm
2: not gonna sing like uh, I woke up in. <laughs> San Jose, California, and, you know, like, yeah, just, that's not, that's not me. No. it's not how I write.
1: What is important now, though, other than, obviously, the political landscape in terms of writing?
2: I'd say 50% of it is always, is always going to be me just working through, like, selfishly just working through emotions Mm -hmm. and, you know, my perception of life. And the other 50% is trying to project like a positive political <laughs> yeah. agenda but not in a way that's uh total. To jump
1: down yeah you. i
2: yeah. mean that's what twitter is for like i can i can get on twitter and be like fuck this person you know yeah, or like
1: i like <laughs> i get to read news yeah. on your twitter like your or, twitter is like a great news little ag-
0: aggregator
2: that's how i got into yeah. it i a lot of my friends are journalists and I've actually met a lot of them through Twitter. You know, it's you know what's funny. So t- t- speaking of Twitter, like I, the operator's record, the yeah. Blue Wave record is kind of like, especially the song Blue Wave is just sort of an indictment of like. I mean, this is the dumbest way of saying it, but yeah. just how the internet makes you feel bad if you're All on, if you're extremely online, yeah. you're eventually gonna feel fucking terrible. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you're doing, how your day is going, what you're reading. Eventually.
1: You're going to break.
2: You're going to break. Mm. It's just going to, it's just going to f- destroy your head, you know? But then, so um, what's, but, but, yeah, but, what's, but the positive thing yeah. is,
1: uh, <laughs> but the light, in the, the light,
2: the light is, so today at this House of Vance show that we're playing, <laughs> mm-hmm. I have coming to the show as guests. Oh, yeah. Um,
1: you were telling me about this other day.
2: The guys who <laughs> do the E1 podcast, mm. episode one podcast, which I love. And I think it's fantastic. And, Parker Moy and her are their partner. Mm. uh, They're writers, you know, journalists. These are people I I know from Twitter, I've never met Mm. in person. So, are you going to
1: meet them tonight for the first time? Yeah, yeah, they're all
2: on the guest list. (laughs) Are you nervous? A little bit, yeah. I mean,. It's always yeah. weird but i enjoy their tweets you know i enjoy i enjoy their tweet i enjoy their perspective and it's something i look forward to when yeah. i get up in the morning mm. you know like i i you don't look want
1: this barrage of just idi- idiocy you i want look, to learn i look forward
2: yeah. to what they have to say